Hello to listeners and readers. You, you devour words. You devour worlds. You devour books. I don't know what your diet practices are. Hi, my name is Ed Fortune and you're listening to the Bookworm on Fab RadioInternational.com and we're part of the Starburst family of podcasts. Uh, my name is Ed Fortune, I'm your host and I'm here with... Nympha Hayes! Today on the show we'll be talking to the rather charming James Lovegrove about his Godpunk series and all his other fantastic works. Uh, I'll be reviewing Air to the Jedi. Ooh, I'll be reviewing Alice in Zombieland. Uh, coming up shortly will be the book news and at the end of the show we'll be talking about sad puppies. Sad So, book news is wide and rather varied at the moment and a little bit random, so you'll forgive us if mm. you don't mind. Because we're not usually random, are we, now? Oh, no, we're completely random. It's complete chaos. But it's a, surpri- it's a surprise that we actually read books in the right order, to be honest. <laughs> it is the middle first, yeah? Oh. So, um, okay, so a uh, bit of random, random signing news. Paul Kane, who is a master of horror, I love that term. Um, I was looking at I was looking at his website actually, and he's got that picture. You know that picture that all horror, sort of <laughs> all dressed in black, really, really like leather jacket, leather jacket, tree, rock star look. Yeah. You know that kind of bless his heart. <laughs> for uh, man at CNA. Yes, for a man who might murder you at CNA. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very specialist range. But yeah, but won't because instead he's a horror writer. So we say when we say random, we actually mean it. There, there, there are two types of people who think about murder. Um, horror writers. <laughs> and serial killers. Um, anyway, Paul Kane is, is of the former kind. Um, horror novelist Paul Kane, his work includes Signs of Life and the Afterblight Chronicles. I like the Afterblight Chronicles. They're, they're fabu, I think. Um, very dark, though, because you know, obviously everyone's died, pretty much. Um, has signed a multi-book deal with Birmingham Fright Factory Short Scary Tales publications. Um, he, they're going to relaunch his book Red, which was on a limited print run, um, and that features some Dave McKean artwork on the cover. So if you're a Sandman fan, which you probably are if you listen to this show, hmm. then, yeah, pretty much sounds good. Uh, SST are also at that Short Scary Tales publications. SST have also got a submissions window open. So if you've got a complete horror work, which happens to be in the graphic novel format, then uh, Kapow, pretty much. Mm. Um, you, you can get that done. You can get in touch with them. You can submit your, your scary, scary graphic novel, and um, they're very interested in that sort of thing. They're not looking for just general prose submissions at the moment, but they are sending up people like Paul Kane, which is quite interesting. Talking of submissions windows, the Abandoned Books one is still open. Um, I believe if you work very hard this weekend you can still get into the Black Library one as well Mm. I think that closes on the 26th so you know get your finger out and get that (laughs) sorted Uh, if you you want to write Warhammer 40k or Warhammer Fantasy then 
the look at the Black Library website, they have a submissions window, but probably by the time you hear this, if you're listening to us on the podcast, you'll have missed it. Um, if you want to write for the same people who produced Judge Dredd, uh, look on the Abaddon Adab- Adab- Books website, because um, they've got a submissions window. They're specifically looking for novellas and stuff set in their worlds that aren't Judge Dredd, because they produce a whole load of stuff, including the Afterblight Chronicles, as it happens. Mm-hmm. Um Shiny. Shiny, 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 shiny. Pan Macmillan has won a six-figure auction. I love it when you hear news, news is from the publishing industry. It's like, it's always a six-figure auction, auction when we hit, it hits the news. How do we get into those? I mean, I, I'd love six figures. Um, he, All six of them. I think, you, I think you need a fair body of work and a really good agent from the sounds of things. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Editorial director Julie Crisp. Hi, Julie. Acquired <laughs> UK and Commonwealth rights to a book from Alexis Hurley at the Inkwell Management uh, after seeing 140 pages worth of the work. Um, Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. Sounds fantastic. Dark Matter follows J- Jason Dressen, a 40 year old physics professor living with his wife and son in Chicago. One night after an evening out, he is kidnapped by gun- gunpoint by a masked man and taken to an industrial site and injected with a powerful drug. Um, apparently it's uh, the time traveller's wife meets Stephen King part lightning fast filler, part enduring love story part weird freaky sci-fi sounds good to us apparently got sold for seven figures seven figures uh, seven figures to Sony Pictures for the movie rights already <sighs> <laughs> I know how you love that it's it, it sound. I mean in fairness you know, it's a complete manuscript people have read the book so obviously someone sat down and read the treatment and gone that looks good um Talking of things that should be a movie but aren't, Atomic Robo, um, the comic book, is available and now online. You can get the first volume for free via, if you Google Atomic Robo or atomic-robo.com, you can read the first volume of the rather fantastic Atomic Robo. Atomic Robo is about a robot created by Tesla who um, punches dinosaurs. It's the easiest way to describe it. He's Yay. a dinosaur punching action hero who uses science and in sweet but sad news i think it's it's sweet and it's a little bit sad and it's a little bit sweet and it's a little bit sad <laughs> um elon musk that that billionaire who wants to go to mars um who in dust in order to go to mars is spending an awful lot of money and making sure that there's a space industry that will allow him to go to mars which is fantastic because the bookworm's actual plan is to become space pirates that's our retirement plan so we need elon musk to create a space industry so we mm-hmm. can become space pirates but anyway to, to one side elon musk um recently read the culture novels the culture novels if you don't know what they are Ian M. banks's utopian future um where hyper-intelligent uh, computers called minds are part of a society and they kind of lead us to a sort of utopian weirdness. It's kind of like a like a, a liberal dream sort of thing. But anyway, all the all the machines in that have really cool and sweet names. And Elon Musk has started naming his drones, so the automated space robots that operate his spaceships have started getting culture names, which mm-hmm. is really sweet. Um, so just read the instructions is the first one and the second one is of course I still love you which <laughs> if you've read the play of games you'll have a little smile on your face because you'll understand where they're from and what they are and what the characters are so are we are we done for boot news? it think, would appear so I think we're pretty much done for boot news so um, sure and sweet coming up 
Coming up next, some messages. FabRadioInternational.com time ago in a faraway galaxy um, (laughs) that's all it takes ladies and gents all it takes George Lucas came across a cash can and milked it oh yes he milked it I'm gonna slap you now (laughs) I'm sure nobody will mind Um, so yes Star Wars Um, I got my hands on Star Wars Heir to the Jedi which itself is a reference to it to another Star Wars product, Air to the Empire, uh, which mm. was one of the early Star Wars books. But we'll 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 skip past that because it's kind of irrelevant. Air to the Jedi is one of the new series of Star Wars books, um, in the sense that it's a post Disney Star Wars books. So you've got so it's canon. It yes, it's canon. It's, <laughs> it's part of the Star Wars universe. Um, there was a big there was a big abs- absolute pile. Of Star Wars books, and they're kind of they're impenetrable now. And the expanded universe is huge. Yeah. And if you've got that on your shelf, fantastic! You must have loved them. You know, a lot of them are great. But the the, the Disney buyer has given them an excuse to kind of start again. Yeah. Now, interestingly, with this particular book, it actually started out of, off as an expanded universe book. Then the Disney buyout happened, so he had to rewrite it. Oh. So, so Kevin Hearn, who is an experienced Star Wars writer. Um, and a well-known Star Wars writer has produced Air to Jedi, which is all about Luke Skywalker. Okay. So we have Luke, and he's just he's just finished kind of you know saving the princess, blowing up the Death Star, being a bit being a bit amazing, and he's just about got over himself. Hmm. So it's set somewhere between Empire and Star Wars: A New Hope and Empire. But we gather it's been it's been at least like eighteen months. It's been a bit, it's been a while. So you know he's still kind of. So it's before the end of the very first trilogy. Uh, well, he, yes, he hasn't even got to Hoff yet. No, oh. None of them have got to Hoff yet. None of them have gone to Hoff. Empire Strikes Back hasn't started. Yoda's still alive. Yoda's still alive. Yes. Uh, Obi Wan is still there. Spoilers. Oh, whatever. For a thirty-eight-year-old movie. <sighs> People still complain about spoilers for like Shakespeare. That's a good point. Actually, uh, 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 actually I think it's, it's, it's totally off the point. But I think with Shakespeare, it's kind of because everyone's expected to know it. It's really annoying if you're like fourteen and someone spoils Shakespeare for you. But Star Wars, you've probably seen that by now. Uh, Whether you're weird. three or it took it, it took me a very long time to see Star Wars. Uh, yes. I, what was wrong? I, I think she had to be tied to a chair. Okay. Right, so sorry hey, for the spoilers. Okay, the, there is no Yoda. Carry on, move hey, along. Yoda. Yoda's not in it actually. Um, Yoda doesn't turn up at all, which would make sense because he's only meets him in Empire. Exactly. Um, so, so the, there's this thing. So he's he's got these force powers, and he's like, um, what do I do with it? What do I do with them? How do they operate? I was given some kind of very after this. After he's juggled a few apples in the air, is like, what now? I see. This is the thing. He can't. He can't quite. He, he's he's trying with noodles. Oh jeez! And he he moves a couple of noodles around, and he's like, "Oh wow, I can move noodles around." <laughs> but, Surely that's a skill to take to the bank. 
But I'm um, even if his mum is blowing at them really hard. I don't know. <laughs> But Sorry. the thing is, he's still a fantastic pilot. So he's his ace, ace pilot, yes. and he's still able to anticipate people's moves. And you know, he's still kind of he's still kind of hot, you know, with his, with his powers, and he he can anticipate what's going on. So it makes him he's got really fast reactions, really, really, you know, unnaturally fast reactions. So the rebellion are just like, well, we need stuff doing. You're you're the great hero. Can you do us? You know, can you pop to the shops and do some stuff for us? Yeah. So as it happens, there, there's this this girl called Nakari who's an heir to um, a vast biotech empire business. Because you know, in Star Wars, there's, there's yeah. businesses bubbling under that under there. Um, all part of the mainstream canon as well, because you kind of you see brand names in places yes. for normally in strange alien tongues, but still part of the Star Wars universe is that there are businesses running around. So this girl, her mother was killed by the Empire. Her father's a huge kind of strange businessman type, and she's like, right, well, we've got this mission, but firstly, we need to get the ship outfitted. So they go off on a side quest and go and get the ship outfitted. Then they get the ship, and it's a really nice ship. It's not an X-Wing. It's a proper, proper kind of sloop-looking, kind of fixed-wing, mm. sort of Naboo-style beautiful spaceship. Oh, I like Naboo ships. And, and off they go, and off they go flying, and the, the thing they've got to do is they've got to go and pick up a slicer, who's a kind of computer hacker, Mm. rescue her, make sure that her family get rescued and then bring her to the rebellion because she's then going to be able to hack them a load of secrets. So that's a fairly straightforward mission. You know, you know so far what I really like? That 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 actually the, the person with the money and the competent hacker are both girls. Yes. Um, I like that lots very of competent much. women in this book actually. It's quite nice. Um, slightly, Nakari annoyed, annoyed me slightly in the fact, the fact that she seems to be, she turns up and she's really competent and she's really together. And then she kind of she's sidelined because Luke's there. If you see what I mean, mm. it's like look at the boy, look at how special the boy is. Like I'm more interested in, in the girls, to be honest. The the given, which is the the alien hacker as well, they 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 understand maths on an intuitive level. Mm. So the way they greet each other is by throwing out quadratic equations at each other. Okay, uh, which is unfortunate for human beings who aren't very good at maths. <laughs> so. They they have these stand. This is standard kind of greeting. I find this really charming. This is standard standard greeting uh, equation in there, where if if it's a race that are not uh, math competent, um, then the polite thing to do, if you know this, is to give them an equation that the answer is three. So they can just go, <laughs> and go ah yes three, <laughs> and, and the, you know the race treats this as a kind of charming joke because they understand that you that know, that you're not very good. But of, they kind of expect human beings to, to have learned uh, a complicated equation with a complicated response because they want the challenge because that's what the like greeting is about. It's a, it's a nice thing to do if you if you eat maths for lunch sort of thing. So all this all this world is set up wonderfully. Uh, we get some insights into Luke basically going, I have these force powers. I have no idea how they work. Let's try flinging noodles around and this sort of thing. As a book, it's all right. It fits... Fairly neatly in between a new hope and an empire, it has some it has some pretty major problems in the sense that we know that certain characters aren't going to be as significant in Empire Strikes Back because mm. they're not in the movie. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of we meet a character and we're like, you can't be that important because you're not going to be you're not going to be there on, yeah. later on. So, uh, you know, there's there's an awkwardness to it. Kevin Ahern gets. Um, sorry, Kevin Hearn gets the 
character very well. Luke is charming, young, a bit dumb. Um, aware that he could have a really big head and he's trying to deal with that as well. He's mm. trying not to be too arrogant. And and the exploration of the Force is nice. It's not... You know, I'm not going to sit there and go, this is the best Star Wars book ever, because it's not. You know, it's not going to... It's it's not even as um, got that same kind of wow factor that Tarkin had, at least with Tarkin. You read Tarkin and you're just like, oh, oh, oh my good aunt. You know, he, has a, he, has, he, he actually is a person. He's got a personality and he's kind of dark. That was that was a concrete, well-written book. So is this. It's just... Uh, it's not that Luke Skywalker was boring, though there is that. It's partially... It, it, it's there's no expectation because you kind of know what happens before and after. Yeah, so it's like, it's, ooh, yeah, it's interesting, but you know, unless you're a super Star Wars buff that wants to know all of the minimum details, it might not be that relevant to th- you. There's no, there's no real tension all the way mm. through, um, and it bobs along. It's a nice little bit of space upwards. Sometimes it feels like it's just a nice little space adventure. Mm. Sometimes it feels a bit like a numpool, you know, like like a video game. Look, you have to go here and pick up these things. Then you mm. have to go there and pick up these things. Then you have to do and this. And then that random thing you found, oh, but it's useful right now. Uh, there is, however, a couple of great things. The, the the space battles are great. His lightsaber technique is hilarious. <laughs> he's still just a trainee. He's just, all just he's yeah. not even a Padawan. So he's got a lightsaber and he's like, people are shooting at me. Uh, yeah. He's a youngling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of I'm doing because I'm Luke Skywalker and you put a lightsaber in my hand and I'm going to be really competent and kind of scary but I still really haven't had basic instruction and oh I dropped like, it again <laughs> it's not it's not as if it's not as if he can go to the library and pull up, pull up books about you know <laughs> Jedi lightsaber technique types of do's the, and don'ts types into Google how to be a Jedi and Google responds with did you mean turning yourself into the Imperial Inquisition <laughs> question mark <laughs> lightsaber manoeuvres for dummies <laughs> how do okay. I repair lightsaber did you mean turning yourself into Darth Vader <laughs> uh, yes we're uh, not Star Wars geeks no um, so, so yes uh, great fun um, Star Wars Rebels is better Sorry. Um, but if you're a Star Wars fan, and again, it's one of those books that I tend, I tend to recommend books on a, a kind of a level of use. It is a fantastic Star Wars geek read if you have a long flight or a journey and you need the distraction. So Great it's a nice bit of adventure. In nice space. bit of adventure. If you're, if, if you're going to treat yourself, the better Star Wars things out there. Um, Tarkin is a good example. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to really absorb yourself into the universe, there are better books out there. But if you need something that is light in Star Wars and fun, and you've got a three-hour train journey, yeah, uh, Air to Jedi is going to going to do the trick. So just just remind us what's the book and who's Kevin Hearn, Air to Jedi, and it's out on Del Rey in about a week's time. Fantastic. <laughs> the world 24 hours a day this is Fat Review International 
So we talked to the rather charming James Lovegrove. He was a lot of fun. And here's the interview now. This is Fab Radio International. James Lovegrove, welcome to the bookworm. Ah, thank you. What can you tell us about the books you're working on at the moment? Aha, thank you for asking. Um, I'm currently working on the second of my Dev Harmer books. Um, it's a sequel to World of Fire, which came out last year. Uh, this one's called World of Water. Um, and uh, I uh, hopefully I'm going to do a third one after this called World of Air. But um, that's what I'm currently working on now. I'm probably about two-thirds of the way through. And it's much like the first one, a, a fast-paced, pulpy kind of adventure story, which is the sort of thing I've been dying to do for a long time. And um, I'm just delighted I had the opportunity to do that. Um, following that, it looks as though I'm going to be doing a trilogy of, which it looks as though I've contracted to do, and so I have to, a trilogy of uh, Sherlock Holmes books, um, in which Holmes encounters uh, beasts from the Cthulhu mythos. Um, I know that this has been done before. Um, there's a there's a anthology called Shadows Over Baker Street, I believe, um, a collection of stories by various people, including Neil Gaiman's rather wonderful study in Emerald. But uh, this is an attempt to try and do something slightly different, I hope, and to make it a, a long form trilogy that covers entire the entirety of Sherlock Holmes's career and sees him becoming as having a sort of parallel career. As a, uh, as someone who fights the elder gods, um, and at the same time solving solving crimes. So uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a fun experiment, and I'm I'm very looking much forward to sort of doing the world building and getting cracking on that. What is the appeal of the Cthulhu mythos, and what's the appeal of Sherlock Holmes? It's funny, isn't it? I think I mean the, the enduring popularity of Holmes. Um, I've always felt is because he's kind of like your ideal older brother. He knows everything. He's always a step ahead of you. Uh, he's benevolent uh, and he, he keeps you safe. And those are, just, those are just all wonderful qualities. He's not necessarily very likable, but you know that you can count on him and that he's going to stay there. And that, that you know, is the mark of an enduring character, an enduring hero character particularly. As for Lovecraft, it's, it's a strange thing. It's hard to explain why... Those stories have endured over the decades, um, being as they're not very well written, they're sometimes offensively racist, and um, they, uh, they're also told in this rather weird reportage style that's very distancing. Um, but I think it, what it comes down to with Lovecraft is simply the depth of his imagination and the, the, the beguiling creepiness of this, of this mythology that he created with all these gods who are trying to gain access to our realm at any time and, and mean us nothing but harm. Um, it's, it's just such a sort of a dark and entrancing vision that you can't help but get bound up into it and overlook the, the flaws in the stories. Um, and I, why they worked so well together, I don't know. Why Holmes and Lovecraft this is, because they actually belong to completely, not completely, but they're distinct eras. Holmes is late Victorian just shading into the early Edwardian era, whereas uh, Lovecraft is sort of in the 20s and 30s, Pulp's golden age. Uh, yet there seems to be some kind of compatibility there, which, which works very well, possibly because they are so, they are such, each is such the antithesis of the other. You've got Holmes's rationality and Lovecraft with this sort of unnerving, out of the corner of the eye horror, 
that they shouldn't work together, and yet somehow in this clash of opposites, they do. Have you been tempted by that other weird tales mainstay, Conan the Barbarian and the Hyborian Age? Oh, I, I'm very tempted, but unfortunately, I, I think the uh, Howard estate is pretty strict on what you can do with that. I particularly, um, I would love to write a Solomon Kane story. I know that's not Conan, um, but Solomon Kane, I think, is one of Howard's better secondary characters, um, second to Conan, that is. Um, and because not very many stories, I think there's probably only about four or five complete stories um, exist. There's lots of room there. There's, there's, you know, lots of blanks that could be filled in. And I find him quite an absorbing character. I find him, the way Howard wrote him is slightly disappointing because he wrote him more or less as yet another um, wild man barbarian who just happened to take the guise of a, of a Puritan Englishman. Um, I think that you could have done more with it and, and perhaps he could be slightly more ascetic, slightly more reserved. And then you could do fascinating, wonderful things, you know, with his journeys to Africa and his, his battles against vampires. I think there's so much room to explore there. But until the character is out of copyright, um, I'm afraid he's off limits. Your godpunk work is very versatile. What can we expect from that series in the future? Ha. The, what I like about the godpunk books is that each one is so different from each other, from the others. Um, they are uh, a sort of... Uh, there is unlike as I could make them at the time, while still dealing with similar themes and, and a similar set of characters. Uh, what originally drew me to the idea, the very first one I wrote, Age of Ra, was the idea of the pantheon of Egyptian gods as this large, sprawling, brawling, dysfunctional family. And I really quite enjoyed that aspect of it. And that does continue, uh, certainly in the books where there is a very distinct um, pantheon with uh, you know, their own relationships in a very complicated family tree. I love that aspect of it because you get them, you can see them as characters almost relatable because they are just like any other family. They're like your family or my family with their arguments and their, uh, and, and their agreements and all the sort of tensions and, uh, and intrigue that goes with that. Um, but from that, from, from that sort of basis, I then wanted, as I said, to try and make the books as unlike each other as possible, partly because I think I have quite a short attention span and I don't like going back over gold ground if I can find a, a way of exploring new ground. Um, so consequently, that's why each one is a sort of, is military SF, but has a slightly different take on it in each case. Um, what I'm hoping to do next, in fact, I was, have been talking about this with Solaris, my publisher, just this week. Um, I kind of thought, and I think Solaris may have thought, that the series had run its course. We'd done six novels and three novellas, and it seemed that perhaps, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd taken it as far as I could go. But then we were talking, and I went away and had um, a sort of think about it. And I did that thing where you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and your head is just kind of suddenly buzzing with ideas. And I thought, well, I can't, you know, I've got to do something. So I left, I left the coziness of my bed and uh, went down and just started jotting things down. And by um, about 11 o'clock that morning, I had uh, outlines for three more books. And these, uh, it is still sort of, you know, at the very tentative stage, nothing's been signed or agreed yet. But um, Solaris seemed quite keen on it. This is, would be exploring the next kind of stratum of gods. The, 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 the people who are just below the level of gods, the demigods, or the, the heroes of uh, folklore and, um, and even fiction that have become elevated to the level where they're somewhere between us 
and the deities where they're the sort of halfway uh and you know they can be warriors of legend or characters like robin hood or dracula or something like that and there's i think there's a whole new level that we can explore there so hopefully i'm going to be returning to this gold punk genre at some point and uh and getting cracking on a new a new trilogy age of shiva particularly was full of comic book action have you been tempted by the comic book genre I would love to write comics. The, the difficulty I think there is breaking into it. I mean, I've read, been a comics, massive comics fan since I was about six or seven. And I'm still, I mean, for a while I worked for a wonderful magazine called Comic Heroes. Just, uh, it was just wonderful. Just, you know, writing about and reviewing comics. Uh, it was my dream job. And it's just a pity the magazine closed. Um, I would love to, as I said, I don't know quite how to break into it. I mean, I, in a sense, I could approach people and say, look, I have, form as a writer but it's a very very different discipline and I, I i very much admire most comics writers who do it well and i admire also comics writers who can work in prose people like dan abnett and neil gaiman because that you know they are such different disciplines with comics you you have to sort of it's not like a film script but you have to treat it visually and you have to think in terms of page beats and action beats and sticking to the you know to the the format of 23 pages or six pages let's say if it's 2000 ad uh and and the episodic nature of that is i think quite a challenge i would love to try that challenge one of these days and you know if someone wants to wants me to pitch to them i will but as i say i think it's also quite a difficult uh a difficult industry to break into if you got to play in someone else's creative sound pit and work for another franchise what would that be uh, that's a tricky one. I, um, I mean, other than having a go at Solomon Kane, if you consider that part of, of Robert E. Howard's world, which I suppose you do, or, you know, Conan too, if I was given the opportunity. I think um, I would like to write for the Marvel Universe. That's a, a world I, I know reasonably well. Um, very complicated, that, though, because I think you do have to keep continuity in mind. I think I would find that quite a, quite a daunting challenge. Um, I'd also consider writing Doctor Who. I would love to write a John Pertwee third Doctor novel or story, um, just because that he was my Doctor. Uh, I sort of I shaded over into the Tom Baker era, but I always kind of preferred John Pertwee. And I think writing writing a story with him and having him, you know, fighting the Master as he almost <laughs> invariably did, would be fun. What advice would you give to a sixteen-year-old version of yourself? Uh, well, two, I'll give one two pieces of advice. One is don't wait until you're in your late 30s to have children. Don't have them when you're 16, for God's sake. But, you know, try and get try and have your kids in your 20s because it's exhausting having children. And you've got more energy when you're much younger. I would also say um, uh, you probably are thinking about trying to be a rock star. Let me tell you, that's not going to work out for you and probably for the best. But just keep, you know, keep hammering away with the writing because you know secretly deep down that you quite like doing that and that's probably what you want to end up doing. So by all means, you know, have fun trying to be a rock star. But please bear in mind you're probably not going to be and you're going to be a writer instead. If you were stuck on a desert island with only one book for company, what would that be? Uh, it would probably be Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. It's endlessly rereadable. It's such depth to it. Um, and uh, I, I think, you know, I, I would appreciate having that with me um i could say something like lord of the rings simply because i've never read it and it would probably be about time that i sat down and actually read that um other than that uh and if i, if I wanted to, 
a proper book rather than the graphic novel, it would probably be Marcus Chabon's The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay because that's just wonderful. Simpsons or Futurama? Oh, tricky one. Uh, Simpsons. It's Futurama I like, but the consistency level with Simpsons is so much higher. Dinosaurs or aliens? Dinosaurs. Love dinosaurs when I was a kid. Truth or beauty? <laughs> I think truth. I think you have to go for truth every time. James Lovegrove, thank you very much for your time. Not at all, Ed. Thank you very much. I very much enjoyed that. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. Welcome back. This is Fab Radio International and you're listening to The Bookworm. Um, if you don't know who we are, well, welcome. And I'm Nympha Hayes and I'm here with the lovely Ad Fortune. If you don't know who you are and you have who you are, who we are or where you are, um, you're probably listening to us via podcast or you might be listening to us live. Anyway, you can contact us on station social media via Twitter and Facebook. Um on fabradiointernational.com you can also contact the show directly um, you can tweet us you can facebook us you can mixcloud us probably communicate telepathically if you wish <laughs> follow us on iTunes subscribe regardless you can get to us either the, via the Starburst web pi- website click on podcasts at the top and it will drop down menu will take you there alternatively at Radio Bookworm on Twitter forward slash Radio Bookworm on Facebook and Radio Bookworm on Tumblr will get you to us. Sue, we're talking about books. That's weird. Um, <clears throat> the entire concept of the show. <laughs> Never. You didn't tell me that was what it's all about. Anyways, um, I'm looking at um, Alice in Zombieland Today by Gina Schalter. Um, and this is by Harlequin Teen. Uh, what's it about? What now, is it about? Is it now, zombies? Is it Alice? The, the, the title might kind of give... Uh, a little bit of it away it's as I said Alice in Zombieland Uh, and yes people it is a retelling of the um, Alice in Wonderland tale uh, a modern retelling with zombies Um, there seems to be a lot of that you know zombies um, have been in the last couple of years quite quite cool zombies are now cool it's it's almost as if they're an extremely flexible metaphor to to be allowed you to put any imprint that you want onto them. Uh, nah, they're just decaying corpses that have been animated. Edward, get with the program. Oh, I see. Anyways, <laughs> um, so so. Um, Alice um, is an everyday girl. Lives with her family, dad, and mum, and, and sister. Um, and the, the 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 dad is a bit dysfunctional. Uh, he he hates going out after dark. He's super paranoid about it. Uh, he won't let the girls be out after a certain time. Uh, it's 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 very very strange. Um, it's a very strange man. And obviously Alice is a, a teenager, and she wants to go out with her friends, and she wants to go out at night, and she wants to do you know things that teenagers do, and you know, and she can't. Um, until one night, um, well, one afternoon, uh, they go to, uh, they go out and, and, um, she actually stays out after dark and, uh, things go really badly. There's a car accident involved, um, and her whole family dies and she's left on her own. Blimey. And, but before 
she passes out during the accident she sees the monsters that her dad has been talking about all his life and trying to protect them from and yes the monsters are real uh, and so this is sort of the premise of the book and Alice has is basically catapulted into this completely different world from what she thought it was um, there are zombies they come out at night um, they are kind of heralded by the appearance of a white rabbit that at times um, seems to change has things in, in its paws or it's fatter than what she remembers and there's a whole little thing going around this white rabbit um, and yes um, so she makes friends falls um, for the bad guy and goes out hunting zombies that's the promise of the book um, now it's um, did I enjoy it <laughs> Um, I, I, I wasn't blown away by it. Um, it's it's an interesting concept. It's, it's you know it's it's a cool concept, and I am very aware that a lot of people completely fell in love with the series. It's actually a trilogy. Um, it's called the White Rabbit Chronicles. Um, as I said, Alice in Zombieland is the first book in the series, and you have through the zombie um, looking glass and and. Um, the Queen of Zombie Hearts is the third book. Um, it doesn't sound very Alice, to be honest. It sounds like it sounds like Alice. It's a been... retelling fortune get with the program. <laughs> but it's, it's not Alice in Wonderland. It's a retelling of Alice in Wonderland. Um, I, I wasn't particularly grabbed by it. I found the beginning of it was a bit slow and a bit. I couldn't quite believe it, and I know it's, you know obviously it's zombies and stuff, but I I, I didn't get transported into the world it wasn't very um very believable for me so it was hard to, to to read the book and sort of be in the frame of mind that this could really happen and get the emotions that were attached to it um i felt a bit detached I, i'm i'm still just generally confused <laughs> by the entire concept because at least with cinder you know cinder i can recognize that it's a retelling of cinderella well there's from the recap of alice in zombieland it's just like there's elements, you know, she, she uses some of the elements and it's really clever because obviously the, the white rabbit that appears every time, mostly it's whenever she's in, she seems to always be in a car when this, these things happen. Um, I'm sure there's a reason for it uh, and I'm sure it's explained in the other two books, but unfortunately I didn't get into the first book enough to feel that I wanted to continue with the series, so I stopped at the first one. Um, I mean, I know Gina Schalter for other products and other other more adult books, like The Lords of the Underworld, um, which is a really, really fun series, very light. It's one, one of those series that you pick up the books, you know exactly what you're going to find. And if you're in the mood for it, they're brilliant. Um, and I might have to review, actually, The Lords of the Underworld series at one point. Um, with this one, it's a young adult, so it's it's got it, it's aimed at a young sort of teenage and up um, and it just didn't grab me it felt like it was a mishmash of a lot of young adult book tropes uh, mm. just with a smatter of references to Alice in Wonderland does she at least use her cunning rather than you know hitting the zombies round of a stick oh she, no she mostly hits the zombies oh. uh, but the thing is there's a lot of it that's not explained because it is a first book so maybe you know I should give the chance to to explore the world a bit better it's just that I, I couldn't quite connect with it it just wasn't for me uh, and as I said I found it a bit slow at the beginning and by the time I sort of got into the action it, it was a bit too late because I didn't care about the 
the characters enough. I didn't care about her having, you know, a crush on the bad boy f- full of uh, secrets that, you know, uh, it, it just didn't, didn't, it wasn't for me. It, it, it's, I, I mean, as I said, it's a cool premise. It's a really cool premise. I'm going to say, say something horrendously cynical here, and it just sounds like a cash card. I'm sorry, it just sounds like a cash in. It's like, yeah, let's write a book together and then for about Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock, Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes and the study in red zombies. Um, <laughs> and off he goes. I'd sort of maybe kind of read that. <laughs> Brilliant. That's, that's at least one sale. Um, and, and, you know, we'll have Sherlock and he the, we'll, we'll recast Watson as, you know, we'll, we'll ship it. We'll have him, we'll have, we'll, we'll have Lestrade, we'll have Watson, we'll have a love triangle. We'll throw that in as well. <laughs> Uh, we'll pour in some zombies. I could also go for some Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't get it, but it, it probably was just me because I know and I've seen through reviews that a lot of people absolutely loved it and, and you know, um, they're hoping for a movie and, and all that kind of thing. So it's got a massive fandom. And I do love Gina Schalter. I mean, it's, she's one of those writers that when I pick up a book, I usually know uh, that if I'm in the mood, I'm going to love it and enjoy it. Um, this one, it wasn't for me. Um, but if you are into sort of retellings with with little sort of hints at the the, the original fairy tale, if you like, and if you are into zombies and and young adult love and you know that kind of vibe, you'll probably enjoy this. Cool. So where can we get it? Who's it by? You can get it anywhere. Uh, it's a, G- um, a Gina Schalter um, book. It's called Alice in Zombieland, and it's published by Harlequin Teen. Cool, and coming up next, we're going to talk about, well, book stuff. (laughs) Across the world. 24 hours a day. This is Fat Radio International. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Hugo Awards. Um, let's let's get the shilling out first, shall we? Um, if you are able to vote in the Hugo Awards, and you can do that by either uh, joining um, the the Hugo Awards in in Saskatchewan, in Spokane. Saskatchewan is happening in the states, so you're unlikely unless you're in the United States to want to go. You can buy a supporting membership, and that gives you a couple of things. The first thing it gives you is it gives you rights on the Hugo Awards. Secondly. All the books that get nominated, and all the stuff that gets nominated, you normally get a pack showing you the stuff, so you can read them and see what's been nominated, which is kind of cool. It's not the reason why you should become a member of the World WorldCon kind of organisation, um, the World Science Fiction Society, I believe it's mm-hmm. called. Um, basically, you can you can if you want to vote in the Hugo's, you give the organisers of the next WorldCon about twenty quid. I think mm-hmm. it's about $40. You become a supporting member, and that gives you the rights to vote. So you can support by either going to the events and paying for your ticket, and that gives you the right, or if you can't get to the tickets because, you know, you live in the UK the and have world. no money to go to the States, like, you know, some of us, um, you can just give them some money from here, and you still get a nice e-pack of loads of interesting things, including all of the books that get nominated, and, you know, there's some really, really good books that usually get there, because, you know, it's quite a prestigious award, um, and, and you get also the right to vote. 
get the right to vote and you can vote for us please nominate us if you like the show um, we are Starbursts the Wigwam podcast that would be lovely yay so that bit of shilling and that bit of expedition out of the way and let's make it 100% clear we are big fans of the Hugos we are big fans of world, the Worldcon events uh, we're big fans of the society that surrounded that. We are huge fans of fandom because we are fans ourselves. This is essentially a fan cast. We love books. We love genre stuff. Uh, we're all for that sort of thing. Which is why we're going to talk about sad puppies. It's not what you think, though. I see when he said, Nifa, let's do something about sad puppies. I thought, but, but what, why? What, what, what but, is he about? But no, sad, no, sad puppies sad is sad. Puppy. We like happy puppies. But it's not what you think. So what is it, Ed? Right, so sad puppies 1, 2 and 3, and we're at sad puppies 3 now, is a sort of protest against the Hugos, which to me seems completely pointless. But there you go. Um... <laughs> Essentially what happens is because the Hugo Awards are voted for by people who attend the Hugo Conventions, we get this entire situation where you, you, going, you, you want to go to the Hugo Awards, you get a bunch of, you want to go to Worldcon, you get a bunch of your friends together, say you're in Washington and the next Hugo Awards is in California. Well, that's a, that's a bit of a trip. Mm. Or maybe it's in Helsinki, or maybe it's in London, or maybe it's in Japan. Helsinki. You're going to get a bunch of your friends together, and you're all going to go. And the thing is, if you've got a bunch of friends who are all going to this same thing, you're all going to have roughly the same tastes. Not necessarily all, all the same books, but you have roughly the same tastes and stuff. You might have the same rough uh, area of politics. Mm. So, you know, you're more likely to like slightly more liberal sci-fi than slightly more military kind of hardline sci-fi and let's not pretend that science fiction doesn't have a political element to it because it certainly it does so one of the complaints that the sad puppy people have been making <gasps> producer Alice posted a picture of a sad puppy and it's the cutest thing I've ever seen is they, they, they are complaining that because of these cliques I'm dominate. sorry I don't know what you're saying now this is this is a cute little fluffy oh, sad so puppy sad. on screen it's so cute what they're saying is what these people are saying is they're saying that because of these, these block voting and because of this clique voting and because it's stuff that they don't like, it makes the puppies sad. Oh. oh. And this is kind of, there's a bit of bitterness. It's kind of sad. <clears throat> it's kind of sad. It's different kind of sad. It's a lot of bitterness going on here. Essentially what they're saying is they're saying, oh, well, all these people, and this, this, it's a liberal conspiracy. All these all these books that are being voted for, my, my, my word, it's, it's not, it, it's not middle-aged white men anymore. It, it, shockingly, it's it's women. And, and, and How dare they? How dare yeah. they? How and dare we? People of all social backgrounds and classes and races. Shocking. Now, I might be being slightly sarcastic, but to be honest, guys, th- this whole Sad Puppies campaign thing, it just looks like you're being bitter. And at one point, they were trying to disrupt the Hugos. Now, at least they're trying to encourage people to be involved in See, yeah, that's constructive, at least. You know, you're saying, okay, there's also these things. Give them a, a world before you, you know, cast your vote. That, I, I don't have anything against that. I don't have anything against people saying, here's a, you know, a bunch of stuff you might not know, you might not have considered. Um, you know, that's a way of broadening your choice. Well done. Um if you're just complaining because you know you and your mates book or podcast or whatever isn't in there uh, then that's just better uh, there's a cynical side to this as well where um, there's a, a in one of the cases I've been led to understand there's a, a chap who is a science fiction writer called Vox Day who's quite right wing quite unpleasant uh, has quite 
you know, just, just, just not very nice. And I'm sure someone listening to this is like, oh, you're completely missing the point. Great, just, you know, we're available. Tell us all about it on our Facebook page. Tell us all about it if you want. Or tweet us. We will listen. Tell us how wrong Ed is. I'm never wrong. Tell us how wrong Ed is. Mm. But, yeah, so he got on the Hugo ballot because a bunch of his friends went, oh, we need to balance all this left-wing bias with some right-wing bias, which is ridiculous and God, think think about that for a moment. You're supposed to be voting for stuff that's good, not just because it's all one political ideology over another. For goodness sake, if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's I bad. I might say something really revolutionary here, but not everyone reads a book because they want to find the political side in it. Some people just read the book and just enjoy a story and then move away, and it doesn't necessarily influence what you know what their next vote is going to be. I can be blunt. Sometimes you just want to be entertained. Sometimes you just want absolutely. I can be blunter than that. And Sullivan Justice, that won the last Hugo, I read that going, we spaceships, way! There you go. You know, sometimes you're just going to go, we spaceships. And and that's why it's great, because it's spaceships going boom. (laughs) Um, I I might be being exaggerating, but to me, I was looking at the full sad puppies thing, and it just, it's a, sorry guys, but it just looks like you're a bunch of sad losers who are out of touch with reality. Edward, don't be so controversial. I don't want to answer some hate mail. Um, oh, wait, it'll just come for you. If you would like to send some hate mail, please address it to Mr. Edward Forge. You see, I don't think it's particularly controversial, to be honest. It no. just it just looks a bit sad. Um, but whatever. I mean, if you, if, if you think that there's something that's not being recognised... Promote it. Promote it. Get a bunch of your friends together and promote the heck out of it. Please, please do so. That sounds awesome. Um, also, if you hate our show, you should tweet all your friends and tell everyone. <laughs> and then and then you should absolutely not vote for us in the Hugos. Because, to be honest, there's a lot of that going on as well. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people who use these artificially manufactured controversies to self-promote themselves. And I don't know what you do about that. I don't know how you get rid of it. Uh, I, I think it, I think it's just a side effect of modern social media. Probably yes. Uh, on the other hand, we're, we're joining in right now. <laughs> no, listen. The, 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 the truth of the fact is, if you if you think the show is worth it, you will cast your vote. Whether you love it or hate it, it doesn't matter. What it matters is is that it made you think, and you paused and listened and thought, oh well, these people are putting a lot of good work into it. I might not agree with what they're doing, but I think they deserve a vote. And that goes for anything. You know, the book that you read, anything. At the end of the day, if if it made you pause. And think. Sad pause. Then it's good. <laughs> sad pause and sad puppies. What, what's, what's with pause? The sad pause, pause be a bear thing. Oh, it'd be bear rather than be bear thing. puppies. Yeah. There is there is a response to the sad puppies, which is called happy kitties. Oh. <laughs> yes. See, happy I've, I've, be, because we're close to the end of the show, I've already signed out of our Twitter, so I can't post happy kittens. Happy Aww, kitties. Next time. No, well, we can do that when we when we get back to production <laughs> meetings hours. Um, Hugo nomination random stuff, by the by. Um, personally, I'm going to be nominating for. Best best um, movie. It's oh. not quite best movie. It's best show. Blah blah blah. A big big screen production. They basically mean big move best movie. Mm. But you know, in case something appears on VR or whatever, um, telepathically projected in your mind. This movie. No, it's tangent. Best movie. Yeah, tangent. Anyway, um, a lot of people are voting for Interstellar because it's the big sci-fi movie. A lot of people are voting for the Lego movie because it didn't get an. Os- it's not going to get an Oscar. Um, 
I'm personally going to be voting for Build a Galactic Hero because it is glorious fandom. Alex Cox produced on a budget of tuppence, you know, a tiny, tiny budget with a bunch of stu- students, took Build a Galactic Hero, which is a classic sci-fi novel, and he turned it into an awesome student movie. Arguments for Paddington Bear being nominated into that category? Oh, that's an interesting question. Mm. I haven't seen it. <gasps> I you know. need to see it. You need to I'm see it. I'm not a movie. fan. Oh. I'm it's sorry. I'm, I'm killing producer Alan <laughs> everywhere that comes out of my mouth. I'm sorry. It's a very British thing. I'm not British. I don't get it. It's a bear in, in a raincoat. It's, it's Curiously, it's about immigrants. It really is about immigrants. <laughs> see, I didn't get that from the bear. He's from Peru. Is he? Yes. Why is he wearing a raincoat? Is he? Because it's Britain and it's cold and it's rains. Okay, and I mean, why is he called Paddington? Because they find him at Paddington Station. Uh, see, I, I didn't know all this. It's, it's, it's all about uh, the whole point of Paddington. It's great, actually, if you, if you know someone who's a bit right-wing and a bit kind of scared of foreigners, which, in fairness, is no one that we really know because nah. we are the foreigners. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is hilarious because you... you, you Sit them down in front of Paddington, and they're like, "What's oh, the story about a cute bear who's foreign?" Damn it! Coming over here, <laughs> taking all our marmalade. <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. But I suspect Paddington maybe not. It might be a bit too British. But build a galactic hero. It's got a talking bear. That is true. It's fantasy. That's fantasy. Uh, build a galactic hero is you know a classic, well regarded. It's Harry Harrison, um, the style thing. So yeah, yeah, vote for Bill. Oh, also us. But yes, um, vote for us. We've accidentally gone over time. Oh, God. Oh, why do we always run out of time? I better leave then. Bye. Bye. Those hands are playing the strangest musical instrument in the world. The only instrument that is not touched by hands. You ask for it. That was the bookworm. I've been your host, Ed Fortune. And I've been in The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson.